raise your hand if you've ever heard the expression, you only get one chance to make a first impression. Yes, basically everyone, right? We all have heard this. We've all likely experienced this in interviews or in relationships with coworkers or personal lives. We've all had to meet someone for the first time. Now, I first met Sam long before we ever started dating. He was actually going to be here this morning, but Layla's not feeling well, so now I really get to tell this story. Um, but I first met Sam at a dinner party, and uh, one of my friends kind of had a little crush on him, and I was checking him out for her, and I was like, that guy never talks. How could you like him? <clears throat> Which is proof that God has a sense of humor. Um, I met Nate in a canoe. Uh, on the Minnesota River, and he was getting over a breakup, and so he processed it with the only other girl in the canoe. <laughs> True story. Um, I met Pastor Chad at Mad Jack's when he came to meet the staff and council, and I literally walked up and said, Hi, I'm Natalia. I don't know how much longer I can do this. <laughs> it's a great first impression of your new boss, right? Uh, my best friend from college and, and continuing on to this day, my bestie and I met um, because she was my neighbor at my freshman dorm room. And before she even arrived on campus, she had boys literally lined up outside her room to meet her because they saw her picture in the little book that we got sent ahead of time before Facebook. I know I'm getting old. And uh, so they saw her and they wanted to meet her. So they were literally waiting outside her room. That was my first impression of this girl that eventually became my best friend. First impressions matter, right? Not because they're always perfectly right or remain true forever, but because they sort of set a tone for what people think about us or what lens they see us through, and vice versa, right? How we see others and what lens we see them through. So today we come into Mark's gospel and find Jesus making his first impression in the synagogue, and what an impression it is. Jesus, fresh off his baptism and temptation in the wilderness, gathers a small group of disciples and begins his public ministry. The first thing that happens here matters. Each gospel, each of our four, each with its own lens, chooses a different story to show what Jesus is about, to introduce him to us as part of his ministry. Each gospel uses this first impression to help understand just what Jesus is going to be about in their specific telling of the good news. Now, we are in the Gospel of Mark this year, and Mark begins his reporting of the public ministry of Jesus with this story of healing. And this interaction in Mark's Gospel today sets us up for an entire year of the actions of Jesus in the world. Now, Mark's gospel, over and over again, will tell us that the kingdom of God will break in over and against the kingdom of this world, always pushing right up against the places and people that claim to hold power. Now, maybe you think you know kind of a lot about Jesus. Maybe you've read the Bible a bunch. You've gone to church your whole life. Maybe you even attended a Bible study or two. But this morning, just for this little bit of time, I want you to imagine that you have never encountered Jesus before. Just for now, imagine that this story is your first impression of Jesus. It begins in the synagogue, not a random place for the first act here, but very intentional. 
Because the synagogue is a location synonymous with community, a place where you are deemed in or out. You're either a part of the community of faith or you are not, clean or unclean. And the temple is where you go to be redeemed into community or excluded from community. Jesus walks in, begins to teach. It says, with authority. Like he knows what he's talking about. He's not getting into theological fights or little quibbles about words with other rabbis like the scribes do. He's just teaching like he has something important and true to say. Now his teaching is interrupted by a man, as Mark calls it, with an unclean spirit. I want to be take a quick note to be careful here, not fall down a rabbit hole of trying to define exactly what that is. Lately, often... We define unclean spirit in scriptural as a mental illness, and I think that is super incorrect translation and reading of this text. So I want to be really careful here to say Mark is not making that point. Jesus is in the synagogue. This man approaches. This means the man is in the synagogue, which means he is still a part of the community. He has not been told to leave yet. But interrupting Jesus, a rabbi, is probably the last straw for these church leaders. It's kind of a wild moment. This man interrupting Jesus to yell out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Now let's admit it. If I had, like I had thought of, decided to plant someone in the the congregation to stand up and shout this in the middle of worship... You'd be a little freaked out, right? There'd probably be a small contingent, um, maybe Dan's, of both Dan's, taking him down, right? Taking whoever that person is down. We'd be a little freaked out. This is why I didn't do it, because I actually didn't want to have an innocent bystander be attacked by people trying to help us. True story. Um, but Jesus is not afraid. He isn't put off. He doesn't call others over to remove this man, call him unclean, and get him out of the way. It would actually be the most logical move. Honestly, that's what everybody else in the temple would have done. The chief priests or the rabbis or the scribes, they'd all likely look at this guy and name him unclean and have him removed from the temple or essentially removed from the community of faith. This guy starts shouting as Jesus is trying to teach, and he's not threatened or annoyed. He gets up, and he goes toe-to-toe with this guy, and he sees the evil within him, and he says, be silent and come out of him. Notice he doesn't blame the man. He sees the evil for what it is. And the man convulses and shouts out, and the unclean spirit comes out of him. Mark says, what a moment. It would have been such a wild scene to witness. We can learn something pretty powerful from this first act of Jesus. It's a clear reminder that Jesus is not like anyone else, not before him, not after. That Jesus will go where no one else wants to go. That Jesus will confront the things no one else wants to confront. And if Jesus shows us what God is about, then wow, does this first act of Jesus tell us something pretty incredible about God? Because the usual response to someone like this man today is removal, excommunication, exclusion, and that is not what Jesus does. Jesus heals him. He confronts the evil 
and in doing so restores the community. God's first act in Mark's gospel is confronting evil on behalf of those who have been or would be excluded. Now that is a first impression. And the people around the synagogue gathered to hear Jesus teach are amazed. They've never heard anything like this before. They ask each other, who is this guy? What is this new thing he's teaching? See, they are coming face to face with the good news of God, and they don't really know what to do about it. Now, you might be sitting here thinking, well, it's a really great story. But it's not exactly applicable or relevant, right? I mean, we don't really have moments like this in our own worship services. But I do think we can all agree there is plenty of evil in the world. Now, we might not call that evil an unclean spirit, but it's still there. I had a professor define unclean spirit as the forces that seek to rob us of abundant life. The forces that seek to rob us of abundant life. That's a lot more helpful to me than the nebulous evil or even unrelatable unclean spirit. And what is equally helpful for me in this definition is that it is very unique to each individual hearing it. What forces rob you from your abundant life? What are the demons that seek to distance you from your community, from your true self, or from God? See, we've all got them. We all have them. They're different. For some people, it's fear. For some people, it's anger. For some people, it's a rampant perfectionism. That one's mine. Some people, it's judgment, right? There's all these things we do that are a part of us that we can call things that keep us away from God, that separate us from God, that rob us of abundant life. We have all experienced this unclean spirit, this whatever it is for you that seeks to exclude you from community with each other and with God. See, the good news of this first act in Mark is that Jesus not only comes face to face with evil, not only that he's not afraid to go there, but that he has authority over it. The good news is that the very first thing we learn about God in this gospel is that God wins against things that God never seems to win against. God's power is greater than all those things that you thought of that seek to rob you of abundant life. God is greater than our fear, greater than our perfectionism, greater than our feelings of inadequacy, greater than all the ways we fall short. And God uses that authority, that power on behalf of everyone, even on behalf of the ones we might normally exclude even on the ones who we have excluded. In an incredible segment on NPR this week, Carrie Miller asked a a group of young people why they weren't a part of faith communities anymore, at least not as much as previous generations. She kind of wanted to get at it a bit. And their most consistent response was that they felt judged and not accepted for who they were when they walked into a church. And all I could think over and over again while I was listening was, my church isn't like that. My church isn't like this. 
And Brent and I are texting back and forth. Brent goes, oh, I really wish I could invite those kids to Prince of Peace. And I was like, I know. But some churches are like that. Some leaders of faith communities consistently and, yes, currently, speak words of exclusion and division, and they call it gospel, and they call it biblical, and they call it truth. Heck, this week, a well-known pastor of a large local church spoke out again, as he often does, about women in leadership, and yes, including women in the pulpit. Guess how I feel about that. We hear exclusive and judgmental language so often from those in church leadership and in church communities that words of radical inclusion feel like a brand new teaching. If the word of God you hear preached or taught or spoken feels like good news for the wealthy and powerful but isn't also good news for those on the margins and those who have been silenced and excluded and oppressed, then it is not good news. And if we're honest, the idea of God as someone who calls out evil and demands it be quiet feels pretty pushy and confrontational for most of us. But this first impression of Jesus that Mark gives us today cannot be ignored or explained away. God shows us today that God's role in the world is to cast out evil and restore community even if it makes us uncomfortable, maybe especially when it makes us uncomfortable. And this means we might have to acknowledge that God maybe is willing to go and already is in places that we don't want to go. This means that God might be asking us to accept people who we were just waiting to be called unclean so we didn't have to interact with them anymore. This means we might have to let go of previously held beliefs and learn anew what God is calling us to be about. It means we might have to change. See, no wonder the gathered said, what is this? Right? No wonder they weren't quite sure what to do about it. They'd never heard words like this before. Luther Seminary professor Caroline Lewis said, this is the question of our time. What is this? This gospel that dares to stand up to the supposed authorities, she said. This gospel that challenges assumed power which has never been earned. This gospel that rips apart barriers and boundaries and borders that separate us from God or separate others from God. This gospel that tears down walls rather than insisting on ways to build them. This gospel where the dead don't even stay dead. No wonder the world crucified the gospel. What is this, they ask. And if we're honest, we're right there with them, right? What is this new teaching? What is this gospel of inclusion and love? It doesn't feel like anything we experience in the world. When we take this first impression of Jesus as it is without any of our own preconceived beliefs or judgments or decisions, then, wow, it really does feel new. It also feels really good. 
This gospel, this good news is one where God goes toe-to-toe with the evil in the world and the evil in us and tells it to shut up and go away. You're not welcome here. The lesson in Deuteronomy today reminded us that God continually raises up prophets. That's you. God asks us to go out into the world and do this same action. You have been called by God. You have been named beloved child. We're going to see that promise again for Declan this morning. And you are sent to go out and act to share this inclusion-making, evil-banishing, radical love of God who so needs to hear that they are accepted. They are not the sum of their sins. They are not evil. They are loved. What is this new teaching? They asked. Doesn't it sound like fun?